Yes people, how are we all doing? I hope we're all doing really well. Welcome back to Process, a podcast with myself, Brendan Pearson. So today we are joined by a very special guest. She is Newcastle United Academy coach, Natalie Henderson. So with Natalie, we talk a bit about her specific football journey and into her coaching journey, about growing up into football, obviously being a female, the judgment that you get early. And actually there was a point where a mom had to go to the school to allow her to play for a school football team. Then also talked about her football career where she suffered an ACL injury, which ended her career slightly shorter than she thought, which then led her on a path of coaching. We then touch on a bit about the male football persona of not having any emotions, being macho, not having any sort of negative feelings and how it needs to change. And then also a bit about the mental health of young footballers, young athletes in general, the pressures of obviously the game growing up through the ranks and academy setups, then also the reality of that and not a lot of young lads and women do actually make it to the top of the game and how do we put things in place for them to deal with that. So we talk a bit about the mental health side of football, and finally, we touch on Natalie's book, which is The Player Padlock Pad, which is a football-based journal. You can write down things about Rimmel, reflecting on training, reflecting on games, reflecting on your emotions towards things. It's a great thing. I'm a big believer in journaling. There's nothing better than putting pen to paper, putting your emotions down and being able to look back at it and reflect. So I'm a big believer in this one. So anyway, we'll jump straight into the episode with Natalie. This is Process. Yes, people, welcome back to Process. Today we are joined by a very special guest, one of the old coaches from Newcastle United Academy, Natalie Henderson. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Nice to be here. I know, pleasure to have you on. It's nice to have a different perspective because obviously you come from the academy, you're from the coaches side. We were just talking before the podcast about the time of year it is for scholarships and stuff, releasing players. And you were asking me my perspective on what it was like actually getting released from a club. And it's obviously nice to hear your side of it from, oh, I froze, I'll roll back on. Nice to hear, sorry, your side of it in terms of being the coach and understanding the emotions, which we'll, again, we'll touch on a little bit later in the podcast. But first of all, for people who don't know you, do you want to tell a little bit about your your backstory into football initially from when you were a bit younger? Yeah. Um, oh, everyone asks me my story and it's so long, so I'll try and trim it down. Um, but basically... You know, I've always loved football. Um, I think since being born, my dad is a massive football fan. Um, so I was brought up to love football, to play football as soon as I could walk. Um, my dad is a Man United fan. So, you know, I got taught words like Giggsy and Scoresy. They were the, the first words. Um, so always loved football, played football, um, played when I was younger in the, the boys school football team, which has a slight story to it because I wasn't allowed to play in it until my mom kicked off with the head teacher and then I was allowed into the team. <laughs> um, so yeah, so played for my school football team, went through uh, Newcastle United Centre of Excellence, which was, I guess, like the girls academy back then when I was from seven, right up until 16 into Newcastle United Women Reserves um, and then into Newcastle United Women First Team. Uh, tore my ACL, which we'll get into further down the line. Um, but then basically played for like a college team, moved to Durham in the Women's Championship to play there once I was recovered. Um, but started coaching, so always played football, but then started coaching pretty early as well, really. Um, 
coaching was something I always wanted to do from being young. I knew I wanted to be a football coach. Um, so from the age of 14, I started volunteering with my coaching. As soon as I was 16, I did my coaching badges. Uh, and then I ran a women's college team, the football academy there from a young age. I ran the women's county team. Uh, I worked for Newcastle United Foundation part-time and then full-time. And I'm currently at Newcastle United Academy. Um, and then also coach for England women's under 16 girls as well. That's currently where I'm at. Quite a, quite a busy schedule and pretty busy schedule. <laughs> it's a real long journey. I, I never really know how to trim that right down to not bore people with it. So yeah, that's a whistle stop tour of it really. No, we've pretty much had a little, little time lapse for your life there pretty quick. But <laughs> I want to jump back to obviously back when you first started playing football. Obviously, I don't know what it was like back in the day, but women's football's obviously shot off recently in the minute. It's obviously a lot bigger than it than it was. What was it like when you first started being a female? So going back to school, was there much judgment or anything when you were um when you were younger? Um yeah, I think so. I think it was nothing like what it's like now. Um mm-hmm. I think women's football's come a, a really long way in a short space of time, which I think is really good. Certainly when I was younger, I was the only girl playing football um in my primary school. I mentioned before, you know, I wasn't allowed to play for the team because it was just boys. And it was actually my mum that went into the school and kicked off a big fuss and, you know, basically said, why shouldn't she be able to play football just because she's a girl? And I think the head teacher got a bit of a shock and threw me in there. And then once he realised I could actually play, I stayed in there. So it was fine. Um, But I think, you know, I was always the girl that played in the schoolyard with all the boys and the rest of the girls were, you know, over in the other corner skipping. And so it wasn't really you know well known back then um and I guess the good thing was there was a girls pathway so very early I, I think I started at Walls End Boys Club again one of the only girls and then a coach from Newcastle United Foundation um kind of scouted or spotted me and got me into the the girls set up the centre of excellence there as well as North Tyneside County team and then I was fortunate enough to stay in that pathway with the girls but it was certainly something when I was younger, you know, there was no such thing really as you could be a full-time women's footballer. Um, it was, it, it wasn't really known. So it was, it was very different to what it is now. And I think it's, it's come a really long way now. It, it's, you know, it's so much better for young girls to, to go and play football really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you always think when you were younger, was it always going to be right? I'm going to be a professional footballer kind of because there wasn't that sort of setup and that full-time football pathway for women at the time was there other things that you were kind of interested in yeah so honestly when I when I think back I genuinely didn't think you could be a full-time women's footballer I just you know I think that back you know when I was younger I guess America was the place to go if you wanted to be a professional women's footballer there wasn't really it wasn't known in England so for me I always just knew I wanted to be a football coach and I think I only knew that through seeing a, a female coach at Newcastle United Foundation, or it was Newcastle Development Scheme back then. Um, so she was called Lisa Bell. And, you know, from seeing her, I guess she made it possible to me if you can actually be a full-time football coach and be a woman. So from a really young age, I, I knew I wanted to be a football coach. And my grandma spent years trying to convince me to be a PE teacher because it's a good job. But I just, I knew I wanted to be a football coach. That's what I wanted to do. And I found some schoolwork actually from primary school of like my own work. 
when I was in like year six and it actually says when I'm older I want to be a football development coach <laughs> so I think I've always just knew that's impressive, I know. That's impressive for something very like intelligent for a young kid to yeah. be putting something like that isn't it yeah it, I mean it makes me sound clever I'm not really that clever but um but yeah I think I always I didn't know you could be a football player so I think for me I always just wanted to be a coach and you know I've, I guess I've kind of followed that journey really yeah so what was it like after so when you left school was there any sort of like obviously in terms of the what I went through was you leave school well to be fair you you, you leave school quite early now I left a, like pretty much a year early you were in there three days a week and then in the academy three days a week so it was kind of half and half what was it like for you was it you had to go to college university and then still play women's football alongside it yeah so I mean the, the women's game still behind in terms of that right now in terms mm-hmm. of the academies they certainly don't get school release where they get taken out of school um so for me you know you you played school football at primary school you played in the school football team at high school and then I left high school and I went to a college which run like a women's football program alongside a b-tech national diploma I think it was back then um so I went into I did a sports development and coaching b-tech and played um for the women's football team and I was I was captain there for, for two years and then I went to Northumbria University, but that was the time when I, I tore my ACL. So I was kind of excited to go to Northumbria to, to play football, but then I never, ever got to play because of my injury. Oh, so um, was it right at the start of your first year? So when you got uh, your... so, Yeah, so the plan was actually when I, when I was finishing college, um, when I was, you know, 17, 18, I wanted to go to America to play. That was the plan. And mm-hmm. and I was working with an agency to kind of get the wheels in process to go to America and play. Um, and then that's when I picked up some, you know, my ACL injury uh, and things just changed. It was almost like, I don't think I'm going to go to America now. So I'll just apply for Northumbria University and I'm, I'm just going to have to go there. Um, so, yeah, when I went to Northumbria, it was, you know, I couldn't do the trials. I couldn't play because I was on crutches with an ACL injury. So it didn't yeah. work out. What was that like for yourself? Was it tough? Were you kind of like, you know, when you hear about football players doing the ACL, was it like a heartbreaking moment for you knowing that maybe you couldn't pursue your, your dream in a sense of, I know you obviously wanted to be a coach, but going to America, was it kind of, was it tough for you mentally to deal with or was it something because you knew you wanted to be a coach, it wasn't the end of the world for you? I think at the time it was really tough. Um, and it was half my own fault, to be honest. I, I tweaked a ligament in my knee and was told to rest for six weeks. Uh, and I didn't rest because I love football and I wanted to play football, which was the biggest mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went on the pitch. I think I went up for a header, landed and, and ruptured my ACL. Um, and this was at the age of uh, be 17, 18. Basically, I went through a game, you know, not like the men's game where you get private healthcare. It was through the NHS. So I waited a, a long time for an appointment. Uh, I got an appointment and then they basically said some athletes can play without an ACL and they think I might be that type of athlete. Right. Um, so I didn't have an operation. I did six months of like rehab with the NHS. Um, and then after the six months, I was kind of ready to go and play again. Uh, went on the pitch, my first game, planted my foot to receive the ball on my back foot and totally ruptured it again. Um, so it, it went again. And then basically I had to wait. I was on a six month waiting list for an operation. Then I got the operation. And then it's like, you know, 12 months until you can go back to contact sport. 
Um, again, all my rehab was through the NHS. So it was just once a week, nothing, you know, major like what you, you would get now, really. Um, so I was out in total for, you know, two, like two years of football, really. I missed all of my university football. Um, and at the time, it was really tough that feeling of being left out and watching the girls train and me being on the sidelines doing some rehab stuff and it was so frustrating um but when I look back now I always try and think everything happens for a reason and I think when I look back now I actually it allowed me to to delve into my coaching so much more so it was kind of a, a blessing in disguise although I didn't think that at the time um and you know that's where I guess my coaching really took off really um when I went to Northumbria Uni, I got a phone call from the college I had been at asking, would I come and run the Women's Academy? And for an 18-year-old, co young coach with no experience, that was a really big thing. But I guess that's how you learn your trade, really, is, is being thrown in there and experience it. So it, it was tough, but I think everything happens for a reason and it turned out all right. Yeah, as you now. can tell you've got that mindset where like whatever bad situation or whatever situation happens you can always make the most out of it which I think a lot of people especially when they get the injuries especially like well full-time footballers they kind of just get their head down and they kind of lose their head for a few it takes them time to kind of build themselves back on oh, no, all their focuses getting back fit however you've kind of seized the opportunity to to look at your coaching like similar that's what ended up happening to me when I when I had my my knee injuries in Newcastle I've done my level three PT and always had an interest in that. And it kind of allowed me to explore that interest. And I'm thankful in a sense for, for that happening. But again, you never know what could have, it could have took you on a different path. If you weren't injured, you can never know. But all you know is that you've done the best that you can, obviously in whatever situation that you've got and took it forward and obviously took it into your coaching. Yeah, was, definitely. Yeah, I was going to say, it looks as in, like, especially for women who are, who are playing football, it's a lot tougher path. If you want to pursue it and pursue it to the top level, obviously, when you're when you're a, a lad who's playing football, you get scouted or whatever it is, and then you like I said for that, in my situation, you leave school early and then you're in a full time apprenticeship. You don't have to work. You do a little bit of college work, but it's not it's not too bad for two years. Whereas you've obviously you probably have to go out and work. You're doing your university studies and stuff, which again, on the flip side of it, I think's probably been a, a positive for you in your case because you've always had that to fall back on. Whereas yeah. in the other other side, like most of the lads sack the GCSE off, sack the, sack, sack the B-Tech thing off, whatever it is. And they're kind of left with nothing, which I think a lot of young lads do. So like, credit to you, obviously, you've got that backbone, you've got the education behind you and you've took the opportunity to, to jump into your coaching and, yeah. and progress forward I, as you have. Yeah, and I think, like, I think that you're spot on in terms of I've got probably a very different experience, certainly working in the academy now, I have a totally different experience to the lot of the coaches that I work with um, because of that reason. I never, you know, we weren't in a girls academy. We weren't in there four or five times a week. We didn't get taken out of school. Um, we had to pay to play. If anything, in Newcastle women, we had to raise our own sponsorship every season to be able to play. Whereas that, you know, is just not even known in, in the boys academy. They get everything. Um, so for me, from the age of 14, I was volunteering coaching. 16, I worked in McDonald's, um, what, you know, for a summer. I used to, then I moved to JD Sports. I used to referee in the morning to try and earn some money and then walk to JD Sports and do my shift in JD Sports. Um, and then it was only when I went to university, really, that at the age of 18 that I started to get work in football. So, you know, everybody sees like this 
career or this coach now, but actually, you know, I used to work at McDonald's, GD Sports, referee. Um, my time with Newcastle United Foundation was was the foundation of my coaching in terms of, you know, going to a session where you think it's a normal football session and you go there and it's disabled children and they're in wheelchairs and you've planned a football session and they're in a wheelchair and you've got to adapt and just things like that, that those like key skills really, you don't realise you're getting them at the time, but it was just a totally different experience. And I think when I first went into the academy, I was like shell-shocked with what the boys got. Um, I remember seeing the under-18s, the kit man coming in with boxer shorts. Pumping. And I was like, they <laughs> get the boxer shorts for them. Mm-hmm. like, And they get their kit laid out. And honestly, it was for me, I just couldn't get my head around it because for us girls, we always had to, um, you know, raise money to pay for our kit. And if I lost my jumper, my mom would have to pay for a new jumper and I'd be in big trouble because my mom couldn't afford to pay for a new jumper. Whereas the boys, they, they lose a jumper, they get given a new one. So it was just, yeah, they were they were totally worlds apart in terms of my upbringing and then what I, what I now work in, really. Yeah, you've had, you can tell you've had from obviously the struggles and stuff, well, I say the struggles, but what you've been through in terms of having to be able to work and stuff to go and fund your football, it's kind of, it's taught you a lot of life, life lessons, which I think a lot of young lads who are in the academy setups don't get to learn. I wish, like there's one thing that I would say to young lads is that I wish that I kind of had some, I had to do some sort of part-time job or do something, even like my first few years in the academy, just to learn that life experience and realise, right, this is what real life is. This is the bubble that you're in at the minute. Like there is a, di- there's a difference. And what you've got the minute is like, you are pampered and everything is done for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can obviously see in terms of the women's side of the game, the women who are continuing playing the game must have such a big passion for it because because obviously they're having to work a little bit extra, like a lot harder to be fair compared to lads who are getting a lot done for them. And I, I don't, I don't want to say it, but I, there might be a few lads who do get these scholarships and professional contracts who maybe wouldn't have done it if they had to pay for it rather than get paid for it. If you get what I mean, maybe the, yeah. the, the like the lifestyle in a sense, the like things getting done because it is a very nice lifestyle. Everything your breakfast is made, even at like 16 year old, I was going in, Breakfast was made for me. Lunch was made for me. All the training sessions were done. You've got a nice facility, nice showers, like every, and you're getting paid for it. And it's not bad money for being 16, 17 years old as well. Whereas on the flip side, it's literally the complete opposite for like yourself, the way that you kind of went into the game. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I had to work in McDonald's for a full week to get what you got on a scholarship. <laughs> <laughs> so Vegas wasn't as fun as running around playing football and getting paid for it. But yeah, I think they just, yeah, they were a million miles apart, really. Um, but I think that's that's helped me in a way of, of those life lessons. And that was one of the things when I went into the academy, you know, when you, do, when you go to school and you get put on work experience. Mm-hmm. That was one of the things I couldn't get my head around of why do we let the boys come here and work experience when they get the privilege of this every week anyway? That's our one opportunity to send them to Tesco, McDonald's, a building site for them to see what the real world is like. And I think it was almost like a cop out, like don't let them come here for work experience because they get this anyway. So there was just some things that it took me a long time to get my head around really, but it, you know, it's, it's all learning, so yeah. Doing them other things will humble you. Like what you've been through will humble you. And I've I've noticed that now stepping out of like we talked about the bubble of like academies and Premier League setups and stuff. Coming out of it, even going to play at like lower levels, still still in football, but going to lower levels, it humbles you a lot. And we talked about it before the podcast. 
And the things that I've learned is even at the lower levels in football, your non-leagues, you even like conference um, the national league, league two, league one, like people are fighting for contracts year, like year in, year out. It's like one, two year contracts, unless you're looking, you get a, a longer deal. So it's, there is that stress of actual, like there's pressure on life. Whereas when I was 17, 18, 19, even 20 in the bubble of Newcastle, financial worries and stress about what was going to happen next year wasn't really in my mind because I thought everything was going to be done for me as it as it had the previous four or five years so and again I said when I left the cast at 21 and the journey that I've been on has taught me that life isn't like that but you don't realize it until you step out of the bubble whereas like yourself you've been through the experience you've kind of done it in reverse so you've had that experience beforehand and then if you do make it professionally if you do it that other way around, probably it's probably going to taste a lot sweeter rather than having everything done for you going up through the ranks. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we said it before, that's the best way to describe it is it's like a bubble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, you know, that academy football, that professional environment, it's like a bubble. And, you know, it's not until uh, the players get exposed to the outside world and they realise what it's like that that is not necessarily reality. And I think it's our job to expose them to that as much as possible, really. It's, I guess it's something we're, we're trying to do and, and learning to do but yeah the academy bubble is a, a crazy one and I certainly didn't have it when I was younger no no I think the, the lads who are in it are very lucky however there is it is very very tough which we talked about again before the podcast and we'll mention it a bit now it is tough because there is a lot of pressure on young lads anybody coming up through any sort of academy setup, even like any athletes in any different sport there's a lot of pressure coming up through the ranks and you are in a sense committing your all your whole life to something going to training, what, three or four times a week, giving up your weekends to go and play football. And like we mentioned before the podcast, I didn't realise until now kind of maybe what thoughts and stuff are going through my head at the time until I kind of stepped out for it. Because I think when you're younger, you're not as mindful about how you're feeling and the pressures and stuff that are on. What, like, in a sense, because obviously we talked about it, you're very switched on to the young young lads' emotions and stuff, kind of. Is there anything that you do in particular that, that helps them or is there anything that you've seen maybe that could, could be improved in terms of helping young lads at the minute? Yeah, I think this is something that, and it might be because, again, because of my upbringing, because of my different experiences, is I think the foot, like the football world is a very judgmental world and mm-hmm. ultimately you are being judged on your performances and, and who you are as a person as well. Um, but I like the things I see is, you know, we need to be across the whole board. We need to be much better at understanding players as people. Uh, you know, they're not pieces of meat. They're not footballers. They're actually people and human beings with feelings. And, and I think it's important that we make them feel comfortable about talking about that, because certainly I think now the pressure of being an academy player, you know, is is unbelievable and it, it's probably the most the most pressure it's ever been really um and i think in terms of i think social media causes a lot of that you know back in the day it was always you know don't get me wrong i understand back in the day it was tough to become a footballer and being an apprentice was tough um certainly tougher types of training from the stories that i hear uh, but they didn't you know that social media side wasn't surrounding them all the time and I think now, you know, society's changed, the world's changed. There is more pressure on, on young people. Um, we're surrounded by perfectionism with the Instagram world. And actually, that's not what reality looks like. Um, and I think, you know, making, making the players more open-minded to that and, and understanding that it's okay to talk about how you feel, 
mm-hmm. is a really important thing. Otherwise, it, you just bottle it up inside of you and you're not. I don't think you unlock your full potential then either. Yeah. Um, so for me, yeah, I think, you know, the psychological side is is absolutely huge. And I think we as coaches need to understand that more and, and need to do more to help to help kids in that environment. Yeah, because there is a lot of coaches that are stuck in that old old school mentality. Here, like you're you're a man, you need to get on with it. Back in my day, you would just deal with it on your own. But like because of the world, like you said, the world today with social media, everything's kind of like exploited everywhere. Whereas back in the day, say you were you were a good footballer in your local area and you played for Newcastle United, for example, in your local area. But it was only really in there that you were known as that that foot. You were kind of branded as that football lad. However, now with social media everybody knows about it you've got that label and maybe some people find it hard and feel like find it hard to deal with the pressures of having that label and maybe sometimes accepting like for if you are stepping out of the game like I did accepting that you've you've kind you're not that like being a footballer isn't who you are it's what you do it's not like it's yeah. just your it's just your label and just forgetting that like football football is can be a life but it's not it's not everything around you obviously you've got your family and friends you've got other things outside of it and just because one day you might have a bad game or something like that, it doesn't mean it's the end of the world. It's about obviously just going in the next day, putting the putting the work in, thinking about what you've done well, what you could have done better, and just moving on from it. And I think when you're young, you do beat yourself up a lot, and you like you said, you do bottle things in. Like I'm even having trouble trying to get stuff out of my 20 year old brother. Never mind like 14, 15 year olds who just you just you bottle it up. And like I mentioned before, you aren't as mindful about how you feel in yourself. And going back to to like when I was 10, 11, 12, I didn't really think about like what was going through my head. If I had a bad game, I'd go on a strop and maybe cry in a corner somewhere. But like, I didn't know, didn't know why. It was just what you naturally didn't. Obviously, if coaches like yourself are being more mindful of it and maybe putting their arm on the shoulder and just speaking to them and look like how's things going, maybe people will start talking about it and maybe the word will get spread and maybe one or two more people might, might end up talking about it. And yeah. so definitely more to be done. A hundred percent. And I think that's how you, you know, you want to, like, we want our players to be the best people they can be and the best footballers they can be. And I guess mm-hmm. if something's eating away at you and you're not talking about it or you're struggling and you're not telling anybody, like, we, unless we know that we can't help with it. So, and I think if you, if that is happening where you're bottling up or I often say like you're in your own head, like you're thinking negative things and you're in your own head, then you're not releasing your full potential or you're not performing as well as you could perform. And then that's holding you back. And then because you're being held back, you lose confidence and then you're negative again and you get caught in this like vicious circle. So I just think we, we just need to be better at understanding, you know, who is the athlete behind the athlete? Like who is, there is a person, there is a human being behind this football label. And like you said before, you know, the social media side is massive. Like we have kids that have got, you know, 10, 11,000 Instagram followers and they've got this big label that they're going to be the next big thing. And, and then when that doesn't happen, you know, your world comes crashing down because people have built you up to be this big thing and, and it hasn't happened and you weren't prepared for that fall. And like we said, you're in that bubble. So I think we just need to be better at, at helping, helping players understand themselves as people um, and talking about feelings, you know, men's suicide rates are up more than ever because of that whole man up you know you're a man get on with it 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 doesn't work anymore and we need to do we need to do something to change that yeah I think talking to the parents as well because the parents might be like you don't know what's going on at home as well and sometimes the parents might be a good 
like people to speak to. However, parents could be interesting, especially within football. I remember when I was like even nine, 10 years old, parents get really competitive at times at boys club level. So I think getting to the parents is not just the player because the player might, might be, might not, might be holding stuff and he might not be, but the parents could be influencing that a lot more than you think they could be. You could have a, a dad who's really on his case, almost like trying to coach him every single session. Like when I was younger, 12, probably about the age of about 12, 13, like my dad said, right, look, son, I'm going to back away now from being a coach like I was when, when you were a little bit younger. I'm going to back away and be a dad now and be more supportive, which was which was great for me. It's like a whole like weight lifted off my shoulders, not having that extra pressure on top of you from, from your parents. And they, they say to me all the time, even when I was playing through football, like it, if you if you don't enjoy football, like just talk to me about it. If you're not enjoying it at the minute or if you're having a tough time, go and talk to me about it. And I think when you are young, especially like early teenagers, you need to be able to enjoy your football. If you're not enjoying it, then you're not going to enjoy it when you're like, yes, you might make loads of money from it, but you're not going to truly enjoy it and you're not going to be happy. And then you're probably not going to end up be playing like playing well if you're, if you're not enjoying the game. So yeah, making the game enjoyable and not putting so much pressure on it. It's, it's hard to do in these setups because there is a lot of pressure, but finding a way and having that sort of connection with with the, the kids as hard as it hard as it can be at time is is probably massively important yeah and I think that that's one of the things I always say sometimes you see the kids that are in love with the game mm-hmm. and the kids that are in love with the image of the game and they're two separate things they start to get at that age where they think about the money that comes with football and the fame and the girlfriends and the cars and, and they forget that the reason why they started football is actually their love for the game. And mm-hmm. that's something certainly I, you know, with the under 13, under 14 age groups at Newcastle, if, if they're not enjoying their football, then we've got a real problem. Because yeah. if you're not happy as a 13 and 14 year old boy, then, you know, you shouldn't be here, in, in my opinion. Um, I think life's too short to be unhappy for anybody. But certainly when you're a kid, if you are unhappy, then we have a real problem. Um, and I think that's the, the test of academy football now, you know, is how do we produce players but make sure they still love the game? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's important. I know, because I think there was a statistic, I think it's, if I remember right, I might be wrong, I think it's 0.012% of players who come through the academy, come through setups, actually make it professionally. Yeah. Something like that. I think it's like 3 and 25,000 or something. like. I, I, I think it's around that anyway. But yeah, like the reality is, most kids aren't going to make it. And if you're playing football, you're still trying to make it and you don't enjoy it, you're probably going to get like, the chances are you could get your heart completely broken because of it. However, if you do have a passion for something, you're going to still keep on playing in whatever that level it is, whether it's Championship League 1, League 2, even if it's like Northern League up, up in Newcastle, like whatever it is, you're going to still be enjoying the game. At least you're actually getting something from it and you're playing it for enjoyment rather than just because of the image and you're trying to you're trying to hold on to that image for, for one last time. Like, oh, I'm still going to make it. And you're, I don't know, you're nearly 30 years old and you've still got the dreams of making it. You might still make it. However, I do feel there's a, a lot of lads around my age that do still like hold on to that to that dream so it's kind of being realistic with young kids but also not killing the dreams because that's the last thing that you want to do is kill a kill a young lad's dream so it is a very very tough kind of balance to get um fair play to you coaches who obviously to do that because I'm, I'm still trying to figure out a way how to how to do it how to get my head around it it's yeah. very tough it's very tough very, very tough, tough. Yeah, another thing I was going to mention as well is I don't know if there's any there'll be any young footballers listening who are around like 12, 13, 14. I remember when I was that age and I was 
I was growing up quite fast in terms of growing in height. I was, but I'm a tall lad now and I had a big growth spurt around that age. And I know probably for you as a coach, it's probably hard because around them, like every year, you obviously got to either keep lads on or release them. When they're going through them ages, they are having them growth spurts. And I remember listening to a podcast, Rio Fernandes on the High Performance Podcast, if you listen to any of them. He talked yeah. about when he was about 13 years old and he really struggled with like his coordination and stuff. He said like, there was like a full year, I couldn't kick a ball properly. And I remember I was the same. I was about 12, 13. I was getting loads of niggles. I couldn't really kick it, kick the ball properly and, and run properly. I felt like a, a wild gazelle. I was I was jumping up that, like, um, growing up that quick. Like lads are probably going to get frustrated maybe get down. They might drop the confidence a little bit around their majors. But just like if any of them are listening, I don't know how young people listen to podcasts these days, but just keep on, keep on like, grinding away and keep on going because I think it will get a little bit better and just believe that, Trust the process is one thing that I'm, I'm big on. It's probably hard for yourself being coaches, having to either release players or get rid of and keep on players at that age when they're around that growth bit because I've heard it before for goalkeepers, they, are they not getting kept on because they're not tall enough? Whereas three years later, they're six foot five and they're going to play in elsewhere. So it's a very tough kind of balance um, in terms yeah. of that aspect. I think I think that's that those ages for me are like critical years um, mm-hmm. in any academy, really, those 12, 13, 14, because they go through so many changes, like the physical changes, like what you said. Obviously, they go to like high school at that age. So the whole social dynamics of their life changes an awful lot as well. Um, there's more pressure on them because contracts at the academy are now two year. You're fighting for like a two year registration instead of a one. Um we obviously trialists coming in at that age group as well. It's kind of like, oh, there's a new player coming in. And so there's like, there's all sorts going on. Um, and I think that's where we need to be as coaches. We need to be really skilled and, and we need to be really knowledgeable on that. And we need to understand that and take that into consideration. Um, I think one of the good things now is obviously data and technology has moved forward um, very quickly and, and at a very rapid rate and that for us we get the luxury of you know getting this data of how tall we think the boys are going to be what's the predicted height when are they going through that big growth spurt because if you know if I had a player going through that period of growth I might make him a target player in one of the sessions and try and just reduce his load a little bit because we know he's going through those changes so I think that's where like data and technology is is really helpful now because we can kind of see when they're going through those stages. So we're mindful of that and we can try and manage that a bit better. Um, but certainly, you know, what you said is, is so right. Those ages are critical because there's just so many changes and so much going on. Um, and I think boy, like, you know, play, not just boys, girls as well. They think it's just going to be a really smooth ride. Like you come in the academy, you go through the age groups and you're going to be a first team player at the end of it. And they probably don't realise the little setbacks that you get in between, the injuries, the growth, um, the pressure. Uh, and I think it's important to, you know, let them know the reality of it's not going to be smooth and it's not going to be easy. Um, and if it was, then everybody would be a footballer and it doesn't work like that. So yeah. yeah, they're important years to think about, really. Yeah, there's a million different examples of people who have went on to great successes from, like, getting released. I didn't, I didn't realise when I did a podcast with Sean Longstaff, I didn't realise Matty got released at 12 or 13, I think it was. I think he got released from, I don't know if it was Newcastle, or, but yeah, I think he got released from Newcastle, went to Borough, but I didn't realise that. And look, obviously, he's went on to. And people like Tyrone Mings, he got released and went and played non, non-league, obviously another one from the High Performance podcast. 
he got released and then went on to really good things. And then he had a obviously setback with his injury. I think his was ACL as well. And then obviously he struggled a little bit with that, which he talked about. And then he's went on the thing. So the more people talking about it, probably the more like the kind of more people will probably realize that they're not the only one going through something like a setback, an injury, a bad period of form, troubles at home, whatever it is. Like there's always going to be things that are in the way. Not everything's going to go smoothly. Some have easier path than others. So hundred percent, there's a little bit of luck involved and stuff, but nothing's going to be easy. So you just got to, if you enjoy something, you've got a passion for it, you'll find a way of, of making some success in whatever way that is, which moves on to your book, which you, uh, <laughs> which brings in all nicely to that, which obviously you touched on last lockdown. So you, you wrote it last lockdown. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you wrote and yeah, just a bit yeah. about it? Yeah. Um, I think, Obviously, we've never been through a pandemic before, um, never been in a lockdown before. So for me personally, it was obviously a big shock to the system, really. Um, I'm always, you know, from, well, I guess, like what I said before, from the age of 14, I've always coached, I've always played football, I've always been a super busy person. So for somebody to then tell you, you're locked in your house, you can't go out, you can't go play football, um, you can't go and coach, was, you know... I had just never experienced anything like that in my life. And I think for me, it was a struggle. Um, I certainly felt, obviously, working for Newcastle United, we were put on furlough, which meant I couldn't contact any players. I couldn't contact staff. You know, I wasn't allowed to work. Um, and for me, having players taken away from you and not being able to help, I really struggled with that. And I felt like I lost my purpose. Um, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't know what to do with myself and I didn't know how to help and the thought of you know these players are out there 12 13 14 and, and they haven't got their coaches and they haven't got help so I guess the idea came from that really in terms of it would be great if I could um, lock something in one place that I've learned about academy football international football about people uh, lock something in one place and give it to a player that's going to help them regardless of whether they've got a coach or they haven't so for me, journaling was something that I had seen on like social media, um, you know, like a good mindful tool to use for people, um, really important for your like awareness and to write down those feelings and emotions. So I gave that a go because I was struggling. Um, and that's where the idea came from, really. I was almost like, I know you asked me um, if it was like a spur of the moment and it, it probably was, it was like, Imagine if we could put something like a, a journal that you fill in about your feelings and brings that, you know, that emotional self-awareness and, and also mix it with football. Um, so I started working on, you know, this this football journal really for players to fill in, but also put like football content in there, motivational quotes. I love a quote. So I wanted some quotes in there. Um, and I started to make this this football journal and it took you know, a long time. Well, I say a long time. I did it pretty quick when I think about it. Um, but I worked on it night and day, found my purpose again. And this was something I wanted to do and, you know, got in touch with a, like a self-publishing agency. And and basically the football journal was was launched in October, which is, is called the Player Padlock Pad. And the idea behind it was something that could unlock a player's potential. Um, and I wanted, you know, I was sat and going through names of what could I call it I mean I've never wrote a book or a journal in my life um so it was just a whole new world really but this idea of a padlock where the player is the key you know you there's only you can unlock your own potential people can help you 
but ultimately you've got to do it. And uh, so I wrote this football journal and it's basically for players to fill in after like before training sessions so they can set little goals and then they can reflect on them afterwards. I think for me personally, reflection is massive. Um, I think that's how you get better is like, you know, analyzing yourself, reflecting on things and then thinking about how they can be better. So it was to encourage that reflection, encourage that journaling of writing your feelings down. If you're struggling, if you're feeling rubbish, uh, if you're frustrated with your coach, if you're frustrated with anything, get it like get it out. Don't bottle it up. Um, so, yeah, so I created this player padlock pad, which is a football journal. It was launched in October um, and it's been really, really popular. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to to think of where else I can take it now in terms of the website, putting some inspirational stuff on there and different sessions. And I want to, you know, I want to build on it. I want something that's going to be there to help players regardless of whether they're allowed to see their coaches or they're not. No, I love that. I'm big on the whole mindfulness and stuff. And in terms of journaling, I've done, I've got one that I do every morning. I've done it for about last, the last two years. It's something that I think in football, probably, it's probably like, probably young lads listening, cringing, like talking about writing stuff down, your emotions and stuff like that. But I would, I would have said the same thing about four or five years ago, but the last two years, the first one that I started, it's called the six minute diary. It's a three minute in the morning. And diary, it's like a gratitude one. So three things that you're grateful for for the day, a little positive affirm- affirmation, and then like two or three goals for the day. And then it's the same at nighttime as well. So like you reflect on your day, how's your day been, good and bad, and then something that you're going to like focus on tomorrow, like three things you're going to do tomorrow. And I've kind of took that with me and then just, I just got a plain notebook now and I write just to do the morning routine now. So that's helped me massively when I was in a bit, when I was a little a period of my life, I was a bit lost. I, just, I literally just left full-time football. I was playing non-league. I didn't really know what to do. I was kind of looking to pursue personal training, but I didn't want to because I thought I was going to pursue professional football. And I was kind of in a weird headspace and there's nothing better than writing things on pen and, pen and paper. Like you can type stuff on your phone. You're on your phone all day and texting people. You don't want to be writing your emotions in the notes on your phone and typing stuff. There's nothing better, as silly as it sounds. There is a difference just writing pen to paper and getting your emotions out. You never know where it could take you. You could... You could be writing paragraphs about your feelings and stuff, and then you can look back at it. Like you've got it, you can read it through, even look back at it a year later. It's kind of nice to reflect on it. And um, so it's yeah. nice that you've made something like specific to football and young football kind of probably makes it more acceptable. And maybe young footballers might be a bit more open to it because it's obviously specific towards football and they can write their emotions about how they feel about training, how they feel about going up to leading up to matches after training, maybe slag a few football coaches off while they're doing it maybe if they, if they want to on the round but writing it on paper and obviously reflecting yeah. on your own performance and stuff is massive I, as well if you want to progress yeah definitely and I think that was one of the things I looked into was you know could we do we want it on an, on an app and for me we like we live in a world of distraction where we're constantly on our phones being distracted with where you know we always want the next best thing everything's instant and we don't actually sit and spend a lot of time with ourselves in our own head and getting to understand yourself and I think that's something that I would like and would hope that it drip feeds into players is to actually sit down and reflect whether it's reflecting on those performances um I put like you know some gratitude tasks in there so like write down the things you're fortunate for it might be family it might be you know it doesn't have to be football but just trying to take that time out really to, to come to grips with who you are as a person and and reflecting on that as well and and that's going to help you become a better person and I think we always talk about in football you know you want to 
um, reach your potential. But I think unless you understand yourself as a person, I'm not sure you ever reach your full potential. I think it's important to unlock as much of that as possible on and off the pitch. Um, and, you know, like you said, nothing beats pen and paper, really. I think, you know, we get distracted by phones. I pick up my phone to do one thing and end up doing something completely different. Yeah. That's what happens. Um, so actually just taking the time out. And for me, I, I looked into the research. You know, there's a lot of research that that says pen and paper is really, you know, it's like a therapy, if anything. Um, and also the, the power of journaling and of reflecting. And so I kind of looked, I looked into all this stuff and, and wanted to lock it in one place, really. And, you know, if it can help however many players, then at least, you know, I, I've done something to contribute to it, really. Um, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully it'll help some players. No, I think it will. Because like you said, like these days, people don't don't really want to have that time to themselves. The time to themselves most time is on the on, on the mobile phone for Instagram or talking to other people. Having that time to be with your own thoughts. Like I'm a big fan for, of going for little walks and stuff like that, having a bit of time on your own. Because a lot of good ideas come to your mind then. And you like reflect on everything. And especially with football, especially if you're at a high level playing in football or even playing in like academy setups you probably don't get that mental break because it's it's football 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 constantly you think about the next game like one training session is done you think about the next you're thinking about recovering sleeping having a little bit of time to switch off maybe get in touch with your emotions as cringy as it does sound it's like like i said a few years ago i would have cringed at this sort of stuff but i think you learn to you learn to like it's like when you're when you're younger you don't like eating your greens and stuff but like as you get older you realize the value of how how important it is to get the nutrients in your body the same sort of thing with being in touch with your emotions and and being being mindful about how you're feeling and kind of what emotions are going through your head leading up to big games, reflecting on big games, what was going through your head during the game. Because in football, it's, it's a massive, massive mental game. And I think the ones who are at the top level and doing really well are very switched on to emotions and they, they can kind of get in that, that confident that kind of zone in a sense. Confidence is a massive thing. And I think if you are... If, if you're not a confident lad or maybe you're struggling with certain things, writing stuff down, even if it's just to yourself, it's like you're having a conversation with yourself rather than not if you don't want to go and speak to someone. Just just have that conversation with yourself and think about your emotions and then something good could happen and you might yeah. realise something. And obviously there's been a lot of tragic deaths with young footballers. Maybe something like this, if they maybe wrote down their emotions, I know it's something you always say, what if, but they wrote down their emotions on paper and maybe even wrote down like a few things they're grateful for. They would maybe realise what they've got around them and maybe what potential and things they've got looking forward to look forward to in the future. Um, so it could be a, a big tool just, to help a lot of people. Yeah, and hopefully it does. And I think it's not, you know, I think you think the same as me in terms of like, it sounds like the cringy stuff and it sounds like the... Or like I sometimes say, like the soft stuff, the fluffy stuff. But I, I actually think this is the real hard stuff. I think going outside and practicing my keep ups and practicing my passing, that's the easy stuff. Yeah. But actually coming to terms with who you are as a person and, and sitting down and reflecting and really analyzing, you know, your life and who you are, that is actually the hard stuff. And it's the stuff we don't talk about enough, the feelings and the opening up, you know, we, we're constantly in this fear of being judged and what other people think and chasing, like I said before, perfection that doesn't necessarily exist. Um, so I think this is like seen as the soft, fluffy stuff, but even me, myself, it's actually, this is the real hard stuff. It's the, the emotional side and the feelings and the psychological side. That's the tough stuff. Um, and I think if we can help players get better at that side of it, 
then they'll be better on and off the pitch, really. Yeah, I think 100% agree, because I can even think of, like, you can look at people and think maybe maybe that you're struggling a little bit. Like, why is, why is he like had a drop in form? Why is he... He's been late at the training a few times. He's, he's not turned up. He's been out on the drink a few times. He's all, all this sort of stuff that you do see commonly in professional footballers. But, like, look back, like behind what's in front of you. Like, yes, he's going out a lot, but why is he? Like, I went through a period when I had my injuries at Newcastle. I was... I was probably out every every other weekend or maybe every week at, at certain stages because I wasn't in the right mind frame. And then at the time, obviously, if you're drinking loads of alcohol, at the time I was injured, it wasn't helping my recovery and it wasn't helping the headspace that I was in. So I wish that I was a little bit more mindful at the time, obviously, maybe had something like this to write down my emotions or maybe even having someone just to pull me aside and just stay sweet, have a little chat with me about it. Because um, they're probably... if. I've been through it. There's loads of other people I can think of. There's obviously probably lads going through something similar right now. Um, things like, obviously, if you're journaling, listen to the podcast. I started getting into the podcast around that time, which has helped me massively. Just listening to, as stupid as it sounds, listening to people talk and listening to their thoughts on football, life, fitness, health, whatever it is. Just listening to other people and people who are very switched on to their own emotions or very clever at what they do kind of, puts you in a different headspace completely and, and opens different things, which I think, especially with lads and men in football, especially is kind of very closed off to it because it's not the, not a manly thing to, to be like being switched onto your emotions. Yeah. And I just think if, if all the research is there, that shows that this is something that's really good for people and really can help you get better as a person, then why wouldn't you do it? Mm-hmm. Like that's the way I think of it is if I'm a player and I, a young player and I want to be a footballer. I, if there's something there that is telling me that's going to help me get a little bit better, 1% better, then I'd want to do it. Like mm-hmm. you need to do everything you can to become a better person, a better player. So for me, I'm like, you know, why wouldn't you want to give something a go that's, that is proven to help you? Because really we all need all the help we can get, don't we, to be better people, better mm-hmm. players. So that's the one thing I always think is if it's going to help you, why why would you not do it? Mm-hmm. I know and the, the amount of successful people that have these routines and these rituals and probably do have gratitude journals or listen to podcasts or read. Reading's another one that people are kind of it's kind of looked up on. I remember when I was in Newcastle and I seen Shola Almiobi with a with a book, and I was like, what, "What's he doing reading a book?" I mean, when I was like 16, 17 year old, footballers don't read books. We don't we don't yeah. do that. But he he's a very knowledgeable guy. Like switched on again probably with age and experience and different things that he's been through, he's probably learned to be more in touch with emotions, but it does sometimes take tough periods of time in your life or something to kind of flip that. But if we can kind of educate young, young footballers on the subject, maybe it won't take that kind of dramatic thing in their life to happen. Maybe they'll just come onto it naturally and understand that it's, it's viable to, to invest in these things, invest in your own knowledge, podcasts, books, journaling, whatever it is. Yeah, definitely. definitely. So any plans for the future in terms of taking the player padlock a little bit further forward or are you just kind of letting it letting it roll at the minute and see where it goes? I don't know if I want to let my secrets out, I think. <laughs> don't worry, there's not, not that many people listen to this podcast. You're only probably 100 <laughs> people tops. Well, I think um, for me, I, I want to make sure that this is just something that's not like a one-off hit where it's like a one-off um idea this is something that I genuinely not that I know of is being done so it's kind of come up with that creative idea and I've put it out there and it's helping players all over the world actually 
which is really good. But I don't just want it to stop there. You know, I'm the type of person where I want to be the best person I can be. And I certainly don't just want to hang on this one football journal and that be it. So for me, I'd like to, you know, make more, um, whether it's journals or, or more things that are going to help people unlock potential, really. I think the reason I am a football coach is one, because I love football and two, because I love helping people. And it just so happens that you get to do both of those things when being a football coach. So for me, I'd like to make more products that are going to help people. Um, like I said before, I'd like to build the social media so that it becomes a real um, accessible tool for players, coaches, whoever to, to go on and to help them really. A bit like yourself, you know, I follow yourself on Instagram and you put some really good stuff on there and Sometimes those days where you feel a bit rubbish and you feel bad, all it takes is to come across one post like that and you feel a bit motivated again. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's important that we keep putting that stuff out there to, to keep, you know, keep people motivated and keep people unlocking that potential, really. So, so yeah, I'd like to I'd like to build on it. What that looks like, I'm still figuring it out, but I'd certainly like to go a bit further with it, really. Yeah, if you're doing the right things, that's the same with me. I get like frustrated and down some days that my Instagram hasn't shut off and I haven't got a million followers yet or anything like that. But like, if you are doing the right things and stuff like that, people will, you'll be able to affect more people and it'll just naturally come, come with time. There's one thing we'll quickly, I want to quickly ask you about, obviously we're back, we're back in lockdown at the minute. Signal's going a bit funny. It's probably sick of us talking. <laughs> Is it still, are you still there? Yeah. You thought there we go, it's caught up. Yeah, I was going to say, obviously, we're back in lockdown again. You wrote your player pad, that, uh, padlock pad in the last lockdown. Is there anything that helps you, obviously, with be a lot of footballers at the minute who are also in lockdown and won't be able to play the game? Is there anything in terms of routines or anything that you found worked well with you? Because I know routine's massive for me, having a routine and a structure in place. Even when you're in lockdown, you might not be doing what you enjoy. Is there anything that helped you personally yeah I think that's something I really struggled with in the first lockdown and I'm trying to be a lot better at in this lockdown is that routine and structure um I felt like that was taken away from me and and I really struggled with that so for me I'm trying to you know to do the stuff I'm almost promoting with the padlock pad really in terms of looking after myself so whether that's going for a little walk to clear my head whether it's listening to a podcast I, I always feel like I've been a bit productive if I've listened to a podcast um reading uh and just finding ways to to keep ticking over and you know to to be better I don't often watch junk tv or rubbish tv I, I often will watch stuff that are going to help me get better or even if it's a film I, I find myself writing quotes down out of random films that I can use somewhere else and so I think in terms of structure and routine I'm trying to um, you know, I'm trying to do like five to 10 minutes meditation in the morning because I know that that helps you. Um, I'm trying to write little plans for the day. Um, you know, the other day I, I, I get to a point where I feel like I haven't done anything with my day because I've been stuck in the house. So the other day I actually wrote down at dinner time everything that I had done in the morning. And when I looked at the list, I thought, actually, I've done quite I've done quite a lot. I've did mm -hmm. some some good stuff. Um, cause I feel like when you're in the house, sometimes you feel like you wait, like for me, I feel like I'm wasting time. Like I need to be doing something to make us better. Um, and I get wound up that I don't think I've done much today. And then actually it's not until I look back, I thought actually I've done quite a lot today. Um, so just little things like that. I'm trying to, you know, get to grips with really, but certainly like exercise for me is a, a massive one. I'm still making sure that I'm exercising every day and, and doing something, whether it's a walk a run, um, home workout, 
but just keeping keeping the mind fresh really otherwise you end up feeling down in the dumps and a bit unmotivated yeah i think when people lose the routines especially in lockdown that's when it's kind of a downward spiral and i think you can flip it the other way around when you start doing like one productive thing whether it's getting up early and doing a bit of a bit of meditation or a workout or whatever it is like i always like to start my day with something productive and that kind of just flips Switch. Like, I'm a big fan of cold showers as well because I hate doing them, but I know it wakes you up as well, gets you going. And that's my routine at the minute. Get up, cold shower, and then I, I'm doing my workouts and stuff in the morning just to get the productivity kind of started and get you feeling good. So starting your day like that. And I think lockdown is a great opportunity for any young young athletes who are listening to work on your mindful side or work on other things that maybe you don't have time with, whether it's writing a book like yourself. If something comes to mind, like you have a spur of imagination, do it. That's what the podcast was for me last lockdown. It was a thing that I've always enjoyed doing. A little spur in my like, imagination, right? I'm going to order a mic, right? I'm going to message this person to get on the podcast and just do it and make a start of something. And um, could be working on your mobility. That's something I started working on my last lockdown. Again, that can help any young athletes out there as well. Just little things that you wouldn't, like I said, normally have time when you are full-time training or full-time working, whatever it is. If you're at home, work on different things that you you wouldn't normally have time to so make the most of the time. Be productive. Definitely. Definitely. Did you have Did you have a look at the last three questions that I've been asking everybody on the podcast? <laughs> the quite tough ones. Yeah. If you did, because somebody asked me them the other day, without caught me off guard, and I just I just went. This is a tough question, actually. So first one: three people you'd like to invite round for dinner or coffee. They can be past or present. Anybody you want. They're really hard questions. These. <laughs> Um, I think I can go like big celebrities, Kana. Like really, you can't, I can go anybody here. Yeah, um, I think. I mean, I am whoever's listened to any podcasts I've done before. I am a huge Beyonce fan, <laughs> so <laughs> so I'm definitely inviting Beyonce around um, for coffee and just you know how you can become the queen of the world, really. Um, so she would be one. I think Cristiano Ronaldo is definitely going to be another one because. I think when we talk about footballers and we talk about the image of the game, that the real footballers that, you know, that I that get me are the ones where they can earn all the money in the world and they still get up and they still want to be the best. Um, and I think Cristiano Ronaldo is, you know, massive for that. He could have, you know, sat in a comfort zone years ago if he wanted to. And he, just the way, you know, his psychological... Uh, motivation for himself is unbelievable he doesn't need anything else in the whole world and yet he's still determined to get even better um, so he would definitely be one um, and then I'm a massive fan of Pochettino so I've kind of gone a mix here haven't I I've gone like yeah. pop star I've gone football player and I'd then like I'll to go see a convers- coach, conversation so. between Beyonce and Pochettino that would be an interesting one yeah <laughs> yeah if we could get them three in the same room that would be great um but yeah, Pochettino is, you know, I read his book and he is everything that I relate to as a coach, really, in terms of his um, his football philosophy. And he's really big on like people and knowing them as people and as humans. And uh, he's quite emotional. And, you know, I really relate to that type of person. So to get him around for a coffee would be would be pretty good. They would be my three, but. I could have went on and on. That's really. pretty. It's a pretty <laughs> solid three, to be fair. Go on the yeah. next one. Few people you want to obviously because I'm fitness based. It can be training wise in terms of gym or football wise. Three people you want to train with. Right. Well, I think obviously Brendan Pearson has to be on there. Just there we go. Because, you know, <laughs> he's in there, and I do honestly, I do think you put some really good stuff on social media. I am, you know, I follow that, and I'm 
I think what you're doing is is brilliant. Um, certainly coming from like a football background as well, it's it's really refreshing to see. Um, so yeah, I'd like to obviously beast you with my press ups and stuff. That would be good. Um, who else would I like to train with? I kind of want to throw Ronaldo in there again, just to. Yeah, he'd, I'd love to see. I want to see how he trains. I want to see what his his, his routine is, not it? Because he's obviously he's in ridiculous shape, but how he maintains that with the amount of games that he has to play as well, it's oh, I'm interested. Yeah, definitely, he would have to be in there in terms of his um like his mentality and the way he trains and how much does he do? Because um, we get a lot of you know sports scientists now saying you know the players can't train any more than this. This is their maximum, but. Does Ronaldo actually listen to that stuff or does he just train as much as he wants to train? Yeah. So that would be interesting. Um, and then a third one, I'm struggling for a third one. Who would I want to train with? I do like it. It's my personal training, I do like a lot of, um, like I do CrossFit or like functional fitness. Yeah, stuff. yeah. So maybe like, I don't actually know any professional CrossFit athletes, but maybe I'd like to, to train with someone like that. Yeah, maybe. there's a few, there's a few, they're all from Iceland, most of the women, but I think. I think yeah, it's a, oh, maybe, I can't say it. Yeah, I, 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 I would I'm say a name, sure. but I'll butcher a name. Sixman's daughter or something like that. I'm, that's probably not a name. People who are into fitness will probably probably be laughing at me now. But there's a few. There's a one. There's a one from um, Sheffield as well, who's a woman athlete. But yeah, yeah they're absolute beasts. The women, <laughs> the women there are absolute beasts. I've never seen athletes like it. To be fair, go on. And then the last one. One thing you'd say to yourself five years ago. You broke up a bit. We're froze. We're back. We're back on. <laughs> um, yeah. Did you hear? Did you hear what I said? The last Is question. It my younger self. What? Well, younger self. Yeah, or five years ago, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I think. Um. I think believing yourself would be a big one. Um. I think there's times when you can doubt yourself, and there's times when you can let other people's like opinions affect you too much. So I think never stop believing in yourself would be one. Um, and never stop learning. I think there's so much to learn. And I think the minute you think you've learned it all, I think you, you're doomed and you'll, you know, come to a standstill. So if I could tell myself something five years ago, it would be, you know, it's going to be tough. It's not going to be smooth. It's still tough now at times. Um, but never, ever stop believing in yourself and never stop learning. Love that. Love the way to finish. Quickly for people, obviously, where can people find you? Obviously, get your book as well social media wise yeah so um i'm on instagram as n henderson coaching um and then we've got padlock pad on instagram and the padlockpad.com is the new website which is up and running perfect lovely stuff definitely get in touch i'll leave all the links to your instagram the book and everything in the show notes in the description for the for the podcast but it's been a pleasure great to chat i think some some definitely good points were made in that uh, that conversation so look forward to putting it out Perfect. Thanks very much for having me. So thank you very much if you listened to the full episode of this podcast. And thank you again, Natalie, for coming on. Some great points made. And hopefully, if you are listening, hopefully this has impacted you in some way, maybe made you think about something a bit more. Maybe it might lead you to open up if you are a young athlete, talk about something. But definitely a lot of things viable in this podcast. And again, the links for the player Padlock Pad, if you are interested in it, I massively, massively want to push self-journaling, self-reflection, all that stuff. So definitely invest in it. The link will be in the description, sorry, the show notes down below. We're on podcast, not on YouTube. So in the show notes down below, 
Again, as I always say, if you could share this podcast with one friend or on your social media, any sort of shares would mean the world to me. So just tag myself and the guest on the podcast, send it to your friend, just copy and paste the link. It takes two seconds, so please do it now. It would mean the world just to spread the word, obviously the message of positive talking, talk about mental health, all that stuff. I want to try and spread it as much as I can. So if you can spread it, that would mean the world. And one last thing, if you could leave a little five-star review, if you did think it was good, you did enjoy it, and also leave a little comment down below just to let us know what you thought of the podcast, if you enjoyed it, and any feedback is massively appreciated. So just drop myself or the guest a message and we'll be happy to reply. So thank you very much for listening. This has been Process. Process.